Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Really proud of you all. You, uh, you set your alarms just a little bit earlier today. We're all feeling it maybe a bit, but uh, I feel like nobody has an excuse with like leap ahead Sunday anymore because we have iPhones, right? And all of our phones automatically update the time. So everybody watching online this morning, we love you, but I just called you out a little, just a little bit. But uh, hey, really glad to be with you this morning. Glad we can join together for worship today. Wanted to start off with a just a really... Honestly, amazing update from my perspective. Um, obviously, over the last three weeks, we've been uh, praying for Ukraine. We've been praying, covering as a church the entire situation over there. We have several members of our team that have family who are caught up in all of this right now. It's been heavy on all of our hearts. And so last week, we put out just a, a challenge saying, hey, we want to do a Compassion First offering, and we want to raise uh, $15,000. We, we, you know, that was not planned on us or from anybody else, but, man, we believe God wants us to partner with a, a church over there called Word of Life Church, um, a pastor by the name of Dimitri, who is a, a man that I got to meet four months ago, I feel like, it was such a divine appointment. Obviously, four months ago, none of us knew what was going to be happening today and now. But we're able to partner with him and uh, also Convoy of Hope, which is really focusing on refugees who are, who are fleeing the country. And, um, you know, I regret to say we were not able to raise the full $15,000, uh, but you all did end up giving $44,000 um, $44,035.77, which is just absolutely amazing. So church, thank you for being generous. Thank you for leaning in. Um, got to speak with Dimitri to share with him what we are going to be able to give and uh, got in contact with Convoy of Hope and, you know, Dimitri was just brought to tears and it was just such a powerful moment because we are able as a church to say we're with you, we're for you. And uh, as you guys saw on the video, man, they have, they have turned their church, a local church, into a center for humanitarian aid for their entire community. And we are just empowering them to be the salt and the light of Jesus in Melitopol and at their other congregations. And also able to give wind in the sails to Convoy of Hope, who is helping immediately with the refugees. So, friends, thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity. I'm honored, honored to lead this church and be a part of a generous church that loves to help, that loves to give. So let me pray for us one more time, and then we're going to jump into the word together this morning. Lord, I ask right now that you would just be with us. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you would say to us today in and through your word. Jesus, I pray right now that you would meet us exactly where we are. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. I um, want to start by reading. If you got a Bible, you can pull it out, um, a phone, whatever that looks like for you. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verse 19 to 24 and unpacking this section of Scripture today. Here's what Jesus says. Again, we're in a series called The Good Life, which is uh, a look, a study at the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever 
preached, the most uh, essential teachings of Jesus. And so, so much in here, and I, I just got to be, be honest with you guys, the, the Sermon on the Mount is just one of those things, as I've been studying it again over the last couple weeks, man, it has been raking me over the coals in like the best possible way. I don't say that bad. I just mean like it's been so convicting. I've been having to examine my own heart, my own life. I, I've, I've walked up to my wife on several occasions and just said, sweetheart, Jesus is just, he's, he's wrecking my life again with this sermon, right? As you get into the word, that tends to happen. And so we're going to look at this passage. I want to read it for us. You can follow along. It says this. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I recently took my kids to see a new movie that came out called Uncharted. It's kind of like the next generation of Indiana Jones. Uh, really fun little movie. Uh, it's really a fascinating story. There's the backstory to the movie is the fact that there's this man, Ferdinand Magellan, who had two massive ships as he was sailing around the world that were full of gold, and those ships had never been found. And so, of course, uh, a treasure map is found, X marks the spot, and this massive global quest begins. It's a race to the treasure. It's a race to the finish, and it's this thrilling thrilling story of who's going to get to the gold first. And there's people who've spent their entire lives looking for this treasure. They're just waiting to find the right clues and the right, the right map. But here's what's interesting about this story, about any story like this, any Indiana Jones or any of those, right? The treasure completely shapes the actions of the lives of the actors and the, the characters in the movie. Their life, their actions, their decisions, the risks they take is completely shaped by X marks the spot. Wherever that treasure is, they're going to do whatever it takes to get to that treasure. It defines and shapes their life. And, and what I thought about in this section, because Jesus is talking about treasures, He's talking about the treasures of our heart. If you're taking notes, the title for today's message is The Treasure Principle. And what Jesus is going to show us is this. Every single human on planet Earth is a treasure hunter. Whether you realize it or not, you are pursuing some treasure. You are pursuing something in your own life that you hold valuable that is shaping your daily decisions. It's the reason you get up. It's the reason you pursue what you pursue. All of us are hunting. We're searching for that treasure, for that thing that we believe is going to make us happy, content, that we believe is going to lead us to the life that we want to have. And in the Sermon on the Mount, 
Jesus is unashamedly pointing us to this, saying, look, it's not a matter of if you're going to hunt treasure. I just want to point you in the direction of the right treasure to hunt. I want to shape your life around a search, around a paradigm of treasure that will lead you in the right direction, that will actually lead you to deep contentment, human flourishing. Again, I say this all the time, but God made you. Jesus is not just our friend, he's our creator. And so if he designed us, if he made us, then maybe, just maybe, Jesus knows the right treasures we should be seeking and the way that we should live our life for ultimate purpose, identity, satisfaction, and joy. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And so, in chapter 5, we saw in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is really dealing with the public aspects of the Christian faith. He's looking at what it means for you to be salt and light. The public aspect of your faith. How you live your faith in front of other people. And that's important. Christians are called to be salt and light. They're called to be like a city on a hill. And people can look and they can see, wow, there is something different about those people. There's something unique. And we live in a culture that is increasingly at odds. Hello, friends, here we go. Increasingly at odds with what Christians believe in practice. We live in a culture where Christians are rapidly becoming the minority. The minority in the culture. The cognitive minority is what uh, sociologists call it. That the way that we choose to live, our value system, is increasingly in contrast with the culture and the world around us. And so chapter 5 is all about that. It's about, man, living in such a way that really does look different. Living in such a way, conducting your relationships, your marriages, your work, how you treat others differently than the rest of the world. And then chapter 6, we see a transition more into this internal, the hidden life of the Christian. So you have the public side of your faith, and you have this secret hidden life with God. Where he says, and we looked at prayer last week, he says, when you pray, go to the secret place. Go to, go to the closet, you know, which really represents the secret place of our heart, the innermost place of the, the house of our body, right? Go to that secret place in your heart and talk to the Father in secret. When you fast, don't let other people know about it. Do it before the Lord. Do it to honor God. When you give to those in need, don't sound a trumpet and tell everybody Give in secrecy, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Over and over again, Jesus talks about this language of rewards. It's amazing. But what Jesus is hitting on in chapter 6 is this. He says, life is lived from the inside out. Our life always pursues what we love. We follow the attachments of our heart. Friends, Jesus is concerned about your heart. When he talks about treasures, what he's talking about is the attachments of our heart. He's concerned about what we love, what we value. And I shared this verse last week, Proverbs 4.23. It says this, guard your heart above all else, for your heart determines the course of your life. 
Friends, over and over again in this sermon, Jesus, you know, we all kind of have this line in our lives, whether we like to admit it or not. It's sort of this line where we say, all right, Lord, you can come this far, but don't cross that line. Don't talk to me, Lord, about my anger issues. Don't talk to me about all these different things in my life, my, my sexuality, my finances. Don't talk to me about my integrity. Don't talk to me about my unforgiveness, Lord. You can come so far, but don't cross that line. And Jesus never listens when we tell him not to cross the line. Amen, somebody. He strolls right on in. And the Sermon on the Mount is massively uncomfortable if you really read it because it's Jesus going, oh, I'm going to step over that one. I'm coming in right here. I'm going to come in right there as well. Hey, he, he has absolute access to every area of our lives if you call him Lord and Savior. None of it's off limits. And so today he's like, hey, we're going to talk about treasure. We're going to realize the fact that, hey, your life actually organizes itself around your heart. And, and what you treasure, what you value, what you love, what you treasure, that's a window into your heart. That's what Jesus is getting at. And so we're going to look at this and unpack this verse in a little more detail right here. And I want us to see a few things here. Jesus says right off the bat, he says, do not store up. Just talking about this reality of saving, right? Of future, saving for the future. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. So earthly treasures, right? We'll, we'll dive into that in just a minute. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Then he says, instead... Do this, right? But, which means instead, store up treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves cannot steal. Now, the first thing we have to understand is what does he mean by treasure? What is Jesus talking about when he hits on this idea of treasure? He assumes, and, and I, I said this just a second ago, but Jesus assumes all of us are going to treasure something. Just the way we're wired, we are going to store up some kind of treasure somewhere because that's just what humans do. We value things, we place priority on things, we treasure things in our hearts. And what Jesus is calling us to is he's saying, make sure that what you ultimately treasure, the primary treasure of your life is me is the kingdom of heaven is God. He says in verse 33 of chapter 6, he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven. Seek first my way, my kingdom. Everything else will be provided for you. Don't worry about anything else. If you seek first my kingdom, I got you. You can learn to live in this place of trust with me. And so he's talking about treasure, and he realizes, he knows that a treasure represents something of personal value and priority. A treasure is anything that captures our heart. I remember when I was growing up, this is a vulnerable moment. Um, when, I was, when I was first born, and maybe you did this with your kids in the hospital, my parents gave me a stuffed animal and like a blanket. And... Um, I don't know why my parents gave me a raccoon, a stuffed raccoon. 
think that explains a lot, sweetheart. I'm not sure. I mean, usually it's like a teddy bear, a dog, or a rabbit, but I got a, I got a raccoon named Willie, Willie the raccoon. Uh, <laughs> and I got to tell you, I loved Willie. I loved it. My dad, my dad would come upstairs at night and he would tell me Willie stories. He would just make up these stories with this raccoon. Oh, it was a puppet, by the way. So it was like, you know, put the hand inside and like do all the motions and everything. So full on Willie the raccoon puppet. And, and from, you know, my infancy all the way up to age five and six, I had a Willie story almost every night for my mom or my dad. And, uh, I'll just never forget, man, I treasured Willie, and I treasured him so hard and so much, it was like I took him with me everywhere. Willie, you never saw me as a little child without also seeing Willie, and as a result, uh, you know, Willie took some beatings over the year, right? He, he had to get washed multiple times. He, he became threadbare and tattered and, you know, I don't know, maybe around age five or six, you know, different parts of Willie started just falling off. The tail went first, one of the arms went next, then the head, then the other arm. And uh, I think probably by, you know, end of year six for my life, Willie didn't look like a raccoon. He was just like a little patch of fur. But I carried this little patch of fur with me everywhere. And this thing was falling apart, and it was disgusting. And my mom was like, I've just got to figure out a way to get that patch of fur away from him. But that patch of fur was my treasure. Don't mess with Willie. He may not look the same, but me and Willie, we've been through some stuff together. We've been through some dark nights, some scary moments, some uncertainty of what's under the bed. I have a history with Willie. Willie represents moments with my parents where they shared stories with me. Willie was my treasure. And one day, I'll never forget, my mom decided to throw this, the nasty little leftover patch of fur in the washing machine. And, you know, the washing machine ate it. Just, it just disintegrated. Just to probably, who knows what happened. And at least that's as the story goes. She probably threw it in the trash can out back. Um, but, <laughs> you know, they realized uh, we can't, like, not have something to replace Willie. So we got to go find another stuffed raccoon. You know, turns out stuffed raccoons aren't at every toy store, right? They're a little more rare, a little harder to find than a stuffed teddy bear. They ended up finding one, so I get a new Willie. I come, I come home from preschool or whatever it was at that point in my life, and I, and I see this new raccoon on my bed. What do you think my reaction was? Where's Willie? I want my little dirty cloth. Where's Willie, right? I had a massive meltdown because I didn't know that raccoon. That raccoon hadn't been with me through hard times or dark nights or anything, hadn't told me any stories yet. I had no relationship with that raccoon. I had relationship with Willie. But Willie was gone. And I think what's fascinating here is this. Jesus is touching on treasures. These are the very, very private, secret things of our hearts. No, nobody knows, ultimately, at the end of the day, all of your treasures. And everybody treasures different things. And so when Jesus is talking about the treasurings of your heart, he's talking about what do you love, what do you value, what do you prioritize? What has your heart? What is your heart attached to? And as we grow up, right, our, our, treasures, our, our treasures get a little different. We treasure different things. 
Our treasures usually become more valuable in nature. We treasure family, reputation, success, career, money. We've, uh, we treasure stuff like uh, hardwood floors, new bedroom furniture, updated bathrooms and kitchens and backyard furniture and well-maintained lawns. We treasure certain neighborhoods and certain neighbors and friendships. We treasure new cars, new clothes, successful, stable kids that can provide for themselves. We attach value to these things as we grow up. And so Jesus is saying, look, I want to have a conversation about what you treasure. And it's not bad to value some of these things. It's not bad to say, hey, new hardwood floors are nice. I I would love new hardwood floors in my house, right? Ladies, amen, somebody. But there is that reality where Jesus says that what we treasure is a doorway into our heart. And it's not to say you can't treasure your family or your relationships or Willie the raccoon, but what he is saying is this. Make sure where you store up, where you put your most value and priority is not treasuring the things of this earth that are temporary, but that you place your main priority, your main value, your main, the, the main treasuring and love of your heart on Jesus in heaven and eternity in his way. Because if you do that, there is a treasure waiting for you. There is an eternal reward waiting for you that will not rust. It will not be eaten by moss. It will not be destroyed. And it will not be stolen. It's an incredible principle that Jesus is unpacking here. And so what he goes into next is he asks the question in this verse, right? Eternity verse today. What are you living for? Eternity or today? Treasures of earth, which is today, or treasures in heaven, which is eternal, eternity. He goes, don't treasure what you cannot keep. And so I want to look at this verse one more time, and I want, to, I want us to look at a few different parts of it, because he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up treasures in heaven. So the thing that he's looking at here is treasures on earth, focus on earth, temporary today, versus treasures in heaven, eternal. Jesus shares this parable. It's an amazing parable in Luke 12. And he talks about this rich man. I want to read it for us because I think it captures this difference between today and eternity. What are we living for? Jesus said to them in Luke 12, verse 15, he said, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Another translation for that is greed. Be on your guard against wanting, greed, um, coveting, other things, more things. He says, For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. It's been a good year. I had a good harvest. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? In other words, 
They're not going with you. You have massive barns filled with unbelievable amounts of stuff, and none of it's going with you. He says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God, is not generous towards God. Now, this is amazing. I think R.C. Sproul, he hits it right on the head. He goes, we live in a secular age. We live in an age that really doesn't have faith. It doesn't believe in life after death. So we live for the here and now. And he says it like this. He goes, for, secular, for secularism, all life, every human value, every human activity must be understood in light of this present time, today. The secularist either flatly denies or remains utterly skeptical about the eternal. There's no life after death. I'm living for today. That's what they say. He says either there is no eternal, or if there is, we can know nothing about it. What matters is now and only now. All access to the above and beyond is blocked. There is no exit from the confines of this present world. This present reality is all that we have. We must make our decisions, live our lives, make our plans, and within the closed arena of this time, the here and now. I just need to build bigger barns. I need to make sure I have everything I need for now. And, and Jesus says this, he goes, actually, it's not a smart strategy. In the eyes of the world, it's a brilliant strategy. And Jesus, the Bible is not against saving or investing. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is this. You have to live your life in such a way that your treasure is truly seen by, by being rich towards the plans of God. By being generous towards the plans of God. That's what he says. He says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus says, look, nothing lasts down here. And in a moment, even though that man had made bigger barns and stored up an amazing amount of wealth for that day, he said, on this night, your soul is required. You're heading into eternity right now. Have you lived your life in such a way that eternity makes sense for you? Where eternity makes sense for you. There were no banks in the ancient world. There was no stock market. So if you had a treasure in the ancient world, you would typically bury a hole, dig a hole in your floor of your house, and you would bury that treasure in your home. You'd hide it somewhere. And thieves knew this. They said, look, every little house in the ancient Near East, it has some safe place where they keep their treasure. So thieves would break in, and they would begin to scrape through the dirt on the floor. They would begin to look behind walls and try and find the treasure. And the treasure in that day of those people was often stolen. It was not secure. And so the question is this, what does it look like to invest in a treasure that lasts forever? What does it look like for us to live our lives in such a way that it's clear we are laying up treasures in heaven? What does it look like, what does it look like to be rich toward God? It looks like loving others, 
looks like serving others. It looks like forgiving and loving your enemies. It looks like giving generously from what God has given us. It looks like cultivating a hidden life of prayer and fasting and generosity. It looks like living a life that is free from the judgment of others, learning to forgive, cultivating humility and mercy and purity. It looks like the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus unashamedly says over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, when you do this from a pure heart, I am literally storing up, your Father is storing up rewards in heaven. Rewards. Rewards are not just given out to everybody. Rewards are given to those who live in such a way as to earn them. And this is wild because he's clear salvation is by grace alone. It's by grace alone. But rewards for eternity are earned. Look at this verse. This verse blew my mind. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15 says this, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, Paul goes on, he says, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care now how he builds on it. The foundation is laid. We're all building a life. He says, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Foundation is this, the gospel. Foundation is receiving grace from God. It's not earned you can't work for it. It's a free gift from God. But he goes on to say, and this is absolutely fascinating. He says this. I want you all to see this. He says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, the other word for that is stubble, each one's work will become obvious. For the day, capital D, that means the day the Lord returns, will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. He goes on. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What on earth is Paul talking about? What is he talking about here? This is fascinating. He's talking about this reality of, look, there is going to be decisions that you make now, today, right? He says this, we're all saved by grace. The foundation is Jesus. But each one of us is building a life. Each one of us is constructing a house on this foundation. He says, we are, we are all saved by grace, but we are rewarded by God on the basis of our actual lives, the quality of our lives in eternity is based on our actions today. Oh, don't miss this, friends. Jesus is so gracious with us. He says, look, in the eyes of the world, what the rich man was doing by building bigger barns and a bigger storehouse, that was wise. It was, that was like the five-year plan, the ten-year plan. Man, he achieved it. He did well. But what Jesus is really pointing us to, what Paul is really pointing us to is this. He says, look, I'm not just interested. We're all about life planning, right? But Jesus is urging us to consider our eternal life plan, our eternity. And he's saying, look, the, the things you do here and now, it actually matters for eternity. 
And when you stand before the Lord on that day, the work of your life, the building of your life is going to be tested by fire. And if you built a life that was rich in good deeds, that was radically generous, that was living to serve others, that was choosing humility instead of pride, that was choosing to sacrificially love, that was choosing faithfulness and integrity, if you choose a life according to the way of Jesus, literally it says, the the testing of that day will reveal the motives of your heart and what kind of life you actually built. What kind of life you actually built built. It's amazing to me in this verse because Paul says it so clearly. He says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward if it lasts through the moment of testing. If anyone's work is burned up, this is unbelievable to me. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You're saved by grace. But imagine this on that day. Imagine that this is what Paul is saying. We never talk about this. Paul is saying right here and now, he says, look, there will be those who are saved by grace, but spent their entire lives building bigger barns, hoarding more stuff, choosing not to give away, choosing not to live the way of Jesus. And yes, they are saved by grace, and there is rejoicing on that day, but when they step into eternity, they'll look around and they'll go, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? They're going to suffer loss. Imagine stepping into heaven and being bummed out. That's what Paul is saying. He's like, you're going to step across that line, and you're going to see so-and-so who lived this life for Jesus, who picked up his cross, who followed Christ, who, who, who literally loved and served and lived out the Sermon on the Mount and lived generously. He said, look, I'm not going to build a bigger barn. I'm just going to give more now. And God's going to keep it coming. He's going to provide for me. And, and people are going to step into eternity and look around, and they're going to say, whoa, now for eternity, this is all I have. And yes, you're saved, you're in the presence of Jesus, but Jesus is saying, look, think about your eternal investment plan. In a secular society, we don't believe in eternity. We live for the here and now. More stuff, nicer stuff, better stuff, here and now. This is, our, this is the danger in America. This is, this is the challenge to the American church. The way of Jesus, crawl, I mean, he just steps over every little line. And he says, look, I don't want you to get there on that day and suffer loss. I don't want you to suffer loss. Jesus says, think about eternal rewards. Think about living your life now in a way that you're investing for eternity You see, the problem of the rich man who just built the bigger barns and put more inside the barns was not that he wasn't thinking about his future. He was. He's like, man, I'm going to retire great. And look, I'm not against retirement. I'm not against saving and planning. But just make sure that in your planning, you're thinking more about not just, you know, our, our 80, 90, 100, 110, 120 years here on this earth. Make sure you're thinking about the 10 billion years ahead of you in eternity. And living your life in such a way that it's clear you stored up treasure there by how you lived here and now. That's what Jesus 
is saying over and over and over again. First Timothy 6, 17 to 19, he says it so well. And this is, this is Paul telling Timothy. Imagine Timothy standing here to us because he's speaking to us. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Isn't that true? So uncertain. You never know when Russia's going to invade Ukraine and inflation is going to skyrocket and things are going to take a downturn economically. You never know when a housing bubble is going to burst. You never know when all the investments that we make could go. He says, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Everything you have, he's provided to you. And he's not saying you can't enjoy it. He's not saying he doesn't give you good things to be enjoyed. But then he says this, command them to do good, to do good works, to be rich in good deeds, right? And to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves. They'll be living in an eternal perspective. They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, He's like the number one thing you got to tell rich people, which is all of us in this room, when you think about it in the context of the world. He's like, Timothy, make sure you tell them to lay up treasure for the coming age. Otherwise, they're going to get there and they're going to be like, I wasted it. I wasted my life living for the here and now. Make sure they don't do that, Timothy. He says this, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Amazing. Amazing. There's so much in here. There's so many things. I I got eight more pages. I got to cut some of these pages out. (laughs) (laughs) it's like this Dallas Willard says this I want to go back uh, just to another quote I was reading on this whole topic but um, Dallas Willard who's an amazing theologian he said the person who treasures what lies within the kingdom sees everything in its true worth and relationship the person who treasures what is on earth by contrast sees everything from a perspective that distorts and systematically misleads one's life So if we're living for today and here and now, we don't believe there's eternity, then we're going to make decisions like building bigger barns and storing up more stuff that make a ton of sense right now, but don't make any sense for eternity. They make a ton of sense right now, but don't make any sense for eternity. I remember I... Maybe you've had this happen to you. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night? Maybe you were traveling or staying at a friend's house or something. In the middle of the night, you woke up, and you forgot that you were somewhere else, and it's dark. I remember this happening in a hotel room a couple years back. I woke up, and I just, in my head, I assumed I was in my bedroom. And so I got out of bed, and I walked straight, because that's the direction in my bedroom to the bathroom. And I ran straight into the wall. Hurt so bad. I mean, forehead first, and I, it was disorienting. And I was like, what? Where am I? And I, I legitimately could not remember where I was. I couldn't remember. And it, it, I, was, I was just turned around. And I, so I started feeling along the wall. I took a step this way and just jammed my knee into a desk, 
like one of the hotel big, you know, heavy, thick desks. And I was like, oh my gosh, and I took a right and stubbed my toe on the bed. I'm falling, I'm yelling, I'm screaming. My wife wakes up, turns on the light. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm in pain, I'm just trying to find the bathroom. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm in the hotel. And I walked over to where I needed to go. Friends, Jesus says right in the middle of this, he says, look, the eye is the lamp of your body. The lamp meaning it's the thing that shows you where the rest of your body needs to go so you don't run into the wall. It's the light that shows you where to walk to find where you need to go. It's the light that shows you everything. Your eye is what you see with, and that's how you know where to walk and not run into things. And what Jesus is saying is your heart Where your treasure is, that is like the lamp of, your treasure is the lamp of your heart. It's like your heart sight. And it's this reality where we have to understand that our treasures are leading our lives in certain directions. And we have to ask the question, am I following treasures that are leading me to live a life that makes sense for eternity or just today? That makes sense for eternity or just today. Eye is the lamp of the body. Then he closes with this, and the, the keys can come on out. It says this. He gets down to it. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then he goes straight into the most famous passage on anxiety in the whole Bible. He's connecting financial provision, money to anxiety for all of us. The main thing that makes so many of us anxious is finances. At the end of the day, he's like, seek first my kingdom. I'll provide everything you need. Trust me in this one. At the end of the day, money is not a good master. It's not good to put your hope in money, something temporal, Something that lasts today, maybe tomorrow, maybe a few years. He goes, what you treasure is about what you worship. So every time you choose to give generously towards the work of God in and through this church, you're making a statement to God saying, I treasure you. I treasure you. Your heart follows your treasure. When you give to things like Ukraine, you're saying, God, I treasure you. I treasure your work in this world. When you give to Convoy of Hope, you're saying, God, I treasure this work of generosity in the world. It's a statement of what you value, of what you actually prioritize. And Jesus steps into that line and says, just just look at your money. Look at where it goes. Your heart's there. That's where your heart is. Your money is telling you a story, and it's showing you, it's exposing you what you serve, what you actually care about, whether you're you're just into building bigger barns, or if you're living according to God's kingdom. So Paul tells Timothy, tell them, be generous, be rich in good deeds, be generous towards the work of God's kingdom. And friends, just start somewhere. Start somewhere. Some of you need to step in big, and you're like, man, I need to readjust my priorities. And it's a challenge to you to say, I'm stepping in big to support the work of this church. Or, And I say this often. If you don't feel like you can support the work of this church, friends, go find a church where you can support it. Christians, this Christianity 101 is tithing. 
Go find a church that you love enough that you're like, I'm going to support this church. Give to organizations that are caring for the world, caring for those that need Christian organizations that are sharing the gospel. Friends, Jesus in his sermon, in this sermon, is just saying, I want to talk about your treasures. I want to talk about something very personal. And for all of us, deep down, he said, one of the greatest indicator of your treasures is your finances. What will it look like for you to step in, to step up, to step out, to begin living and saying, I am really storing up for eternity, not just here and now, but for the 10 billion years to come. I don't want to look foolish on that day when I step into eternity. I don't want to suffer loss on that day. And friends, all of this comes down to one simple thing, one trust. Do we trust that our heavenly Father is for us, that he'll provide for us? Do we, do we believe there is life after death? And it comes down to understanding that, man, God, God demonstrated generosity in a radical way to us by giving his son Jesus. He gave everything for you and for I. And so our, our generosity is not compelled or begrudging, but it's, it's in joy. We give out of joy because of what he's given to us. And so, friends, we're going to close our time by taking communion together. And I do, I, I want you to consider the generosity of God and consider if your life today makes sense in terms of eternity. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you care more about our eternity than our temporary comfort. Father, right now I ask that we would have a fresh revelation of your love for us, your death for us on the cross. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, let's take communion together. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.